Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, boys and girls, for leading us in worship this morning. You did a fantastic job. You did a really, really good job. Thank you so much. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you take them out, please, and go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 is where we are going to be um, today as we are continuing uh, our series uh, simply titled uh, The Unstoppable Church. And so Acts chapter 8, we are going to look um, at verses 26 through 40 um, uh, this morning. And as you are turning there, I want to share a couple of uh, good things uh, with you. Uh, one, via a personal blessing, and then we'll tell you about some church blessings that uh, we are receiving as a church um, number one, we had, I had my scans on Thursday, and so far, all the tests are good. And so we praise the Lord for that. And uh, you know how tests go. You have the test, and then you wait like a month to see the doctor. Isn't that good? That's always a good thing about doctors. I appreciate that. But, but anyways, thank you uh, to everybody who's, who continues to pray, who continues to reach out to us. We are so appreciative of your prayers, and thank you so much um, for your uh, support and for your care and concern. I do want to share uh, some good things going on in the life of our church. Last Sunday, our church held what's called Starting Point, which is our introductory class to our church. Uh, for those who are uh, not members, who are guests, who've been thinking about joining our church or want to know more about our church, and we give uh, you opportunities to join uh, the church. Uh, well, last week, we had 16 families join our church last week. And we're thankful for uh, the, the families that God is bringing to our church. We're so, so appreciative of that. A couple other things I want to share with you, and I shared this with our deacon body this past week. Um, our average worship attendance, what we're experiencing right now, our average worship attendance uh, is the highest it's been, obviously, since COVID. Uh, but you have to go back to 2012 for our numbers to be where they are today. And so I just want to say thank you for coming to worship. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here for worship. Um, and then what you saw this morning, we baptized two uh, this morning, which raises our number of baptisms this year to 37. And so we're thankful for that. Uh, we do have several more scheduled for the month of October, and then hopefully we'll have several more after October 29th, which is our friend day. And, and church, I believe this. I really, really, really do believe this. We have the potential to baptize 50, 60, 75 people by the end of this year because of what our friend day is hopefully and prayerfully going to bring about within the life of our church. Folks, that's pretty good. And so I'm thankful for what God is doing in the life of our church. And, and right now we're on a, a continual uh, trajectory upward, and it feels good. Amen? It feels good. And only if the life of a believer, um, and really for the life of a church, if it could just be on a continual upwards trajectory, life would just be awesome. Wouldn't that be right? But a lot of times life as a church, and a lot of times life of a believer is a lot like the life of a Texas Tech Red Raider fan. <laughs> Some days you have it, most of them you don't. And you wake up the next morning and realize that you're one and three, and you're not very good. Don't say amen to that. <laughs> Can life be like that? 
where your expectations don't meet reality and you face adversity. Can life be that way? Does life do that to us? Absolutely, it does. Now, if you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, that's completely different. Uh, Crimson Tide, I'm glad you're experiencing a little bit of diversity right now, but for, for the most of us, the nobodies, the Texas Tech Red Raiders, adversity is our life story. Troubles come. And so many times things happen in our life where we say, God, what are you doing? God, why is this why is this happening in my life? Why are you allowing this to happen? God, it was really good where I was. What, what are you doing? Why, why are you kind of pushing me, Lord, through this adversity? Why are you doing that, Lord? It reminds me of a, of a story of, a, of an old farmer who had, who had a collection of, of live alligators on, in a pond there on his property, and, and he kept them there. And this farmer, he was a millionaire as well, and he had a daughter who was single who needed to get married off in his opinion, and so he decided to throw a party. And he invited all the single men from around the area, and he brought all the men and put them around this pond, and he said to them, men, he said, I have a proposition for you. I will give you a million dollars or my daughter's hand in marriage to the man who will swim across this pond that is full of live alligators. And as soon as he said that, there was a huge splash. Somebody had jumped in and all the men turned around and looked at the pond and they were cheering this man on as he was frantically swimming from one side to the other. And finally, this man got to the other side. The farmer enthusiastically ran over to this man, plucked him out of the water and said, son, that's incredible. I didn't think it could be done, but, but since I'm a man of my word, I'm going to keep my word. And I say to you, what do you want? Do you want a million dollars or do you want my daughter's hand in marriage? And this man, dripping wet, out of breath, said this. He said, sir, I don't want your money. I don't want your daughter. All I want to know is who pushed me into the pond. <laughs> sometimes we get pushed in life, right? And sometimes we get pushed into a pond that we really didn't want to be in. That's the early church. That's Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, they are being pushed into a pond that is full of live alligators. And what we see is what, uh, what we ought to do when adversity comes our way. And we see this in Acts chapter 8. And what the early church does when it responds to adversity is this. It preaches the gospel. Whenever adversity came the church's way, it did one thing and one thing only. It preached the gospel. It preached the name of Jesus Christ. And here's an interesting fact about Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, the word gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, the word gospel is used for the very first time in the book of Acts here in Acts chapter 8. Now, why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because the church is being pushed out of Jerusalem and it's being pushed into Judea, 
Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, thus fulfilling what Acts 1-8 said when Jesus said that when you receive my power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my, everybody know that word? Witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, here in Acts chapter 8, the church is being pushed out of Jerusalem. And they are going to Judea, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so this morning, I want us to look at uh, particularly verses 26 through 40. I can't make it all the way through Acts chapter 8. There's some great stories in there about the gospel spreading, but I want us to focus in on verses 26 through 40 because it's the story of Philip sharing the gospel with an Ethiopian eunuch. And I believe this is a great text for us this morning because some of us, we need a little push when it comes to sharing our faith. Amen? Well, allow me to push you this morning, okay? Let's talk about personal evangelism. So my goal today is I want to encourage you, I want to lift you up, but I want you to be able to be equipped to be salt of the earth and to be light of the world when we leave this place and we go out into the world today. Well, Acts chapter 8, follow along with me. We're going to read verses 26 through 40. Read in your copy of God's Word. It's also on the screen behind me. But follow along as we read God's Word. Verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join that chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him, the eunuch, reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand? And the Ethiopian said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. This is from Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Tell me, what does this mean? Who is, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? And then verse 35, And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, what did he do? He preached Jesus. When you never know what to do, you can always do what? Preach Jesus. In verse 36, and as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what, pre what prevents me from being baptized? Verse 37, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is 
the Son of God. Now, in your Bible, there may be some brackets around verse 37. Do you see that in your text? Some of you may have that in your Bible. What, what does that mean? Well, some early transcripts or manuscripts don't have verse 37 in uh, this story, but some later, uh, um, I guess, older manuscripts do. And so that's all the brackets are referring to, um, but what Philip said is absolutely consistent with the rest of Scripture. Verse 38, and he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. He took him under, all the way under. Verse 39, when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching, what? The gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together. Father, um, as we come before you this morning, God, what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord with your people today, Father. From young to old, from the smallest to the greatest, Father, thank you that we can come here together and to worship and to praise your holy name, that you have, uh, you have uh, drawn us out of the grave to call us to live life for you, that we can stand on your firm foundation, that you will never let us go. And Father, we are so thankful that your word is always true and you always sustain us. Now, I pray now, Lord, for the next uh, few moments, Holy Spirit, come speak. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law, wonderful things from your word. And I pray, Almighty God, that today, that when we leave, that we will leave as the light of the world and the salt of the earth as we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Well, let's talk about personal evangelism this morning. What can we learn here in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40? I just want to share with you three basic things, three things that, that I see out of this text um, that actually help us when it comes to personal evangelism. So view this as a way of God pushing you uh, out of your comfort zone, pushing you in the direction of sharing uh, the gospel, sharing the good news. Uh, number one, I want you to write this down. Number one, God positions his people wherever he desires. That's the story of Philip. Now, Philip is one of the seven uh, uh, deacons found in Acts chapter 6. Uh, we see that he's been called out by the local church, but we know this about Philip. Philip is known as the first evangelist into the church. But know this about his story. God positions Philip wherever God desires, meaning God puts Philip where God wants him, not necessarily where Philip wants to be. Does that make sense? And so many times in our lives, and here's God's, God's um, God has the right to do this. God's sovereign. God is all-powerful. God created you. God knows you intimately. God knows his plans for you. But here's what God can do for your life. God can put you wherever he desires. He can put you in whatever situation, in whatever circumstance, but it's his desire. And this is where I think one of the things where we as believers, where we fail possibly in our personal evangelism is this, is that we don't want to go where God wants us to go. 
We prefer to stay where we currently are. But look at verse number 26. And it says this, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. I want you to underline in your copy of God's Word, underline the phrase, get up and go. Get up and go. Philip is told by an angel of the Lord to get up and go. Now that word go in Greek, here's what it means. You ready? Here's what it means. Go. That's what it means. It means move in a certain direction. It means you don't stand still. You go. You move in a direction. And in Philip's case, it was a very clear direction. The angel of the Lord said, Philip, you go that way. You go south down what's called a, a desert road. And so um, I was curious um, to, to find out how many times the word go is mentioned in the Bible. Did you know the word go is mentioned over 1,700 times in Scripture? Here's two of the most famous ones. Genesis 12, 1, when God calls Abram out of the Ur of Chaldees, what does he say? He says, go. Go from this country, leave your family, and go to a place where I show you. It's one of the most famous uses of the word go. Matthew chapter 28 is another famous usage of the word go. When Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. The idea behind that word when Jesus tells us, or when God tells us, or whenever the angel of the Lord tells us to go, the idea is you get up and you, you go. You move in a certain direction. Now, let me share something with you really deep. I mean, we're already deep this morning, amen? Let's go really, really, really deep. I want you to put your thinking caps on. Some of you will understand this, some of you will not. If you don't understand it, that's okay, but I will, go, I will go slow and I will make this simple as I can. The first two letters of the word gospel, <laughs> what does it spell? Yes! It spells go! It spells go when Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples. What he refers to is you go and make uh, disciples by sharing the gospel. And, and, and folks, you know this. If you and I are serious about the gospel, we will go with the gospel to whomever needs to hear the gospel. If you are serious about it, you won't stay where you are, but you will go. Because the gospel, it means that we have to go share the good news with those who so desperately need to know about Jesus. And so when the angel of the Lord comes in verse 26 and tells Philip, he says, Philip, you leave where you are. You leave Samaria. And here's the thing, he was having a great ministry in Samaria. If you look at the first part of Acts chapter 8, you'll see that Philip went down to the cities of Samaria, and all of a sudden he's preaching the gospel, and he's performing 
performing signs and wonders, and, and people who are lame are now able to walk. People who have unclean spirits, they're, they have, they're demon-possessed. He speaks, and, and that spirit comes out of them, and, and people believe Philip's message of the gospel. And it says people are believed. They believe, and they are baptized. And it says early on in Acts chapter 8 that the city rejoiced because of the gospel. Philip had an amazing ministry in Samaria. But what does God do? He says, Philip, go. Get up and go. And here's what God does with Philip, and he does this a lot of times with many of us. God says, Philip, I want you to leave a place of blessing, and I want you to go to a barren place. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me this morning? Sometimes he says, you need to leave a place of blessing, and you need to go to a barren place. God said to Philip, you leave where people are rejoicing. You leave where people are being baptized. You leave where people believe, and I want you to get on the desert road, and I want you to go to Gaza. Now, what's the big deal about Gaza? What's the big deal about that in Jewish and Israeli history? Gaza, in the Old Testament, was the capital city of, of, of the Philistines which is Israel's uh, foremost enemy. In Gaza, you go all the way down in the southern portion uh, part of Israel. It is the last station before you hit the, uh, the, the desert on the way to Egypt. I mean, it is the last post where you want to go to. Nobody goes to Gaza. Nothing good is in Gaza. But it's at that point, and it's at that moment when God says, Philip, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great ministry, but I want you to go over here. I want you to go some other place to go share the gospel. And what the text tells us is this. In verse 27, it says this, so Philip, he got up and he went. He obeyed. Little point of application here this morning. I wonder how many times when we've come to a personal evangelism, I wonder how many times we've ignored God's nudge on our lives to go talk to somebody. Has that ever happened to anybody here? When God spoke to you by an impression on the Holy Spirit, go talk to this person. I wonder how many missed opportunities we've had when you knew in your spirit that you need to go talk to that person and we didn't do it. Has that ever happened before? Can that happen? Can a believer, can we ignore God's call on our lives sometimes? Yes. But remember, when God calls you to do something, he is positioning you for a reason. Whether it's you just get that nudge, I need to make a phone call to that so-and-so, to that person, to that individual. I need to reach out to them. I need to go to this meeting. I need to be. We've all had these inner nudges. But I wonder how many times we've ignored them and we've missed an opportunity to go share the gospel. This morning, hear me out, church. Don't 
don't ignore that nudge. That nudge is real. You may not understand it. It probably doesn't make sense, but you trust it. You trust it. You may be in a beneficial place. You may be in a great situation. You may be in a great uh, location, and you may get a nudge that says, God says, I want you to go over here. Don't ignore the nudge, because God can position you wherever he desires. Amen? Here's number two. God positions his people at the right time, at the right place. Not only does God have a desired location for you, he also has a right time in all of this, uh, all of this uh, positioning, if you will. Look back at verse number 27. Step one in personal evangelism is to get up and go. Step two is to go over and join. Verse 27. So Philip, he got up and he went. And there was that Ethiopian eunuch, that court official of, of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So understand about this Ethiopian eunuch. He had traveled over 1,200 miles from Egypt to Jerusalem just to worship. Probably takes about five months, and now he's on his way home. And verse 28 tells us what this man was doing. It says this, as he was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, we don't know why he's reading. We don't know why he's reading Isaiah. Maybe he was frustrated with what he saw and witnessed in Jerusalem. Because by the way, the book of Deuteronomy says this, that no eunuch can enter into public worship. So maybe on the way home, he's frustrated. Maybe he can't believe the hypocrisy. Maybe he's driving home and saying, man, uh, that church is just full of hypocrites. Maybe, I don't know. But he's reading, and, but we don't know why he's reading, but we do know this. If he has a copy of God's Word, that is expensive. So this man, he has means, but other than that, we don't know anything else. Verse 29, look what happens. Then the Spirit said to Philip, what does the Spirit say? Go up and join this chariot. Verse 26, the angel spoke to Philip. Now it's the Holy Spirit who directs Philip to get really, really close. Now here's what I see in these few verses. This is what I call a divine appointment. Anybody ever had a divine appointment before? Where you show up at the right time, at the right place, with the right person, and you don't know how it happened. But here you go. God orchestrates your events, and he orchestrates when you're going to cross somebody's path, what time, what day, and the, really the question is, are you going to be ready? When it comes to personal evangelism, the first step is this, that we have to get up and go. The second step is, we have to go over and join somebody. Meaning, you've got to share the message with somebody. Um, look back at uh, verse number, um, look at verse number 29. Look at verse 29. When it said, go up and join this chariot. Look at that phrase, join. That is an imperative command, which means this. The word join literally means to cleave, means to glue yourself to something. It means to submit yourself to something. So when the Holy Spirit said to Philip, you go join this man, you go join this chariot, what the Spirit was saying, Philip, you get close to this man and you do not let go. You stay near him until the mission is accomplished. 
This reminds me of one of my all-time favorite movies, Hoosiers. Love that movie. Great, great movie. Um, starring Gene Hackman as Coach Norman Dell, for those of you who know, know this story. But uh, uh, this, this movie, Hoosiers, it's a great story of redemption. Um, and it's based on a true story, which means it's probably not true, but that's a whole different story. Blindside, totally different story. But, but in Hoosiers, uh, uh, Gene Hackman, Norman Dale, the coach, he gets another shot to coach again because he had blew it at the first place, his previous place. Well, this little video school named Hickory gives him a chance to redeem himself, and he coaches, and he, and he leaves this, this small school to this championship uh, uh, win. It's a great movie, wonderful, wonderful. Now that I'm talking about it, that's probably what I'm going to do this afternoon. We're going to watch Hoosiers. But... In that movie, there's one of the greatest lines uh, of that story. Um, uh, Gene Hackman, his character, the boys are playing in the regional final game. It's a close game, extremely tight. Gene Hackman, Coach Norman Dale, he calls a timeout. And he looks over at one of his players, Buddy. Now, Buddy was kind of one of those players who was always doing this with the coach. You know anybody like that? You want to point to them right now? It's kind of butt heads. And so Gene Hackman, the coach, looks over at Buddy because Buddy's not playing good defense. And he looks at Buddy and he says, Buddy, you stick to him like gum. By the end of the game, I want to know what flavor he is. Well, the game goes on and, and Buddy fouls out of the game. And so the scene goes to the sidelines, and, and uh, Buddy and the coach, uh, they are on the bench, and Gene Hackman, the coach, looks at Buddy, and he goes, and Buddy looks back at him and says this, he is dentine. <laughs> he chooses he chooses dentine. Now, how would Buddy know that? He stuck close. Are you with me? You go join this chariot. You go get close to this man. You know what type of gum he is choosing. Chewing, choosing? How about chewing? That'd be better. You go find out what he is chewing. You get close to him. Folks, listen to me. This is personal evangelism 101. When you share the gospel, you got to get close to somebody. You gotta get you've got to get into a relationship with somebody. You got to get into a one-on-one, -one, one -on -one, close relationship with somebody in order to share the gospel, in order to share the good news with them. So, so I ask you this morning, what is, who is one person in your life that you believe is not a believer in Jesus Christ that you know that you need to, you need to stick close to them? You need to find out what gum, what flavor of gum they are chewing. You need to stick close to them. And as the idea of this Greek word join, you stick close to them until the mission is accomplished. And this is what God does. God orchestrates our relationships so that we can have a relationship at the right time, at the right place. Now listen, on, on Sunday, October the 29th, we are having what's called Friend Day, when we're having a guest speaker by the name of John Reed come and, come and speak. He's an evangelist. This is a great opportunity, and I highly, highly encourage you and challenge you that you invite a friend to church that Sunday. Not a friend who knows Jesus. Are you with me? 
But we're going to have two services that morning. And here's why we're going to have two services. Because we can't fit everybody into one service. Amen? We need 700 people in each service. Which means we've got some work to do. Amen? We have got to invest in people to develop a relationship with them so that we can invite them to join us for church on that Sunday, October 29th. Now, you can invite them beforehand. You can invite them to any church service. But particularly, we're asking you to bring them that day. Why? Because we want you to develop a relationship with them so that the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed. And God has put you Listen, listen, God has put you at the right place at the right time in some of the relationships in your life. Well, look at verse number 30. Y'all still with me this morning? Look at verse number 30. Again, Philip obeys. Philip ran up. God just told Philip, you go join yourself to this chariot. Next thing you know, Philip runs up. God didn't tell him what to expect. God didn't tell him what was going on. Philip just did what God told him to do, and look what happens. Philip ran up and heard of the Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? Here's what I love about this picture. Picture the two of them uh, in this chariot. It's probably a two-seater chariot, and Philip gets close to him and he is listening and he hears the man reading Isaiah. Here's the great thing. God has orchestrated all of this. Philip has no idea. He just obeys and he puts himself in the right position and the next thing you know, this guy is reading scripture. Wow! Now listen, if you are ever in a relationship where you are trying to share the gospel with somebody and you go to their house and they are reading the Bible Yes! You know what to do next, right? If only it would be that easy, right? If only. But here's what's happening here. This is what's going on. I mean, this is a God thing of God things right here. Now, let me give you a little little note here that I think is important when it comes to sharing the gospel. So Philip hears this man reading the scriptures out loud, right? Isn't that what the text said? He's reading it. He doesn't really fully understand. Well, in that day, it was customary that if you did not understand the Scripture, guess what you would do? You would read it out loud in the hopes that somebody nearby could give them understanding. Isn't that pretty cool? That was customary. And so Philip comes by, and he hears this man reading the Scripture. Now, when this Ethiopian was reading the scroll of Isaiah, it didn't have paragraphs, it didn't have punctuation marks, it didn't have chapters and verses. Um, He's probably reading it in um, a different language. He's he's, he's an Egyptian. Uh, The Bible is not written in um, um, Egyptian. Um, So he's probably reading the Septuagint, which is he's reading it in Greek. But it's all Greek to him. He doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. And so he's reading, and he's probably reading it really, really, really slow. And it just so happens that Philip comes by, and I want you to listen to this, and Philip understands what this man is doing. So when this man is reading the Scripture, here's what he's really doing. He's saying, man, I need help. 
Well, this Ethiopian eunuch is standing or sitting in the chariot, and he's reading out loud what he's saying to every passerby. He's saying, man, I need help. I need to understand. And Philip knew that. Philip caught that. Philip was listening. And so this Ethiopian eunuch, when he cries out this scripture, what he's saying is, man, I've got something going on in my life, and I need help. Listen, church. In order for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to hear the cries of those who need Jesus. And the only way that you and I can hear them is when we get near them. In order to hear, we have to get near. And we have to listen for their questions or their comments. You're in a relationship with somebody and they say, you know, man, I'm really struggling with my marriage. That's a cry for help. They say this, well, you know, my kids, they're just really not doing what, uh, and they start talking about the difficulties with kids. Folks, that's a cry for help. Man, I'm really, really struggling with, with finances, and you go, well, who isn't right now, right? Inflation, right? That's a cry. That's a need. And so what we do as believers, we're like Philip, we're listening to what the non-believer is saying, and we come close to them, and we say, man, I can help you with this situation. Are you with me? You know, because you are listening, and you are listening to what, uh, what, what an unbeliever would say. You know, here's one of the comments that non-believers will say this, and they've said this for a long time. They've said this, that the church is answering questions that we aren't even asking. Which means this, we've gotta get close to those who don't know Jesus, know the questions they are asking, answer those questions, and you give them the gospel. Amen? Okay, three of you got that, wonderful. Here we go. Number one, God positions people as he desires. Number two, God positions his people at the right time and right place. And here's number three, God positions his people to speak to those he has prepared. In other words, God positions you to speak the gospel. Again, look at verse 30. Philip runs up and says, do you understand what you are reading? In the Greek, this is really, uh, this is, he's expecting a negative answer. He knows that he doesn't understand. He gets that. He understands that, but he asks them a question. Because Philip is asking him a question because he knows he's going to share the gospel. Rebecca Pippert, in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, said this, good evangelism is 60% asking questions, 30% building intrigue, and 10% sharing the gospel. How many of you are really good at asking questions? I need all women in this room to raise their hand. All right, you're great evangelists. You're great evangelists. Evangelism begins by asking questions. It begins by, by listening. And then sharing the gospel comes when that person has given you their permission to share the gospel. Let me share with you, just give me a couple minutes. Let me share with you how I get into a gospel presentation. Can I do that? Look at your neighbor and say, just hurry up, all right? <laughs> so here's what I do when I, when I get into gospel conversations. I simply use an acronym called FIRE, F-I-R-E. This is just how, this is how I operate it. This is how my mind thinks. And so this is how I begin in conversations when I'm, in, I'm able to get close to somebody. The letter F stands for family. I ask questions about their family. 
Do you know why I began asking questions about their family? People like to talk about their family. Do I care? No. I mean, yes, I do care. <laughs> I ask them about their family. And you don't have to, tell me about your family and what do most people do? Right? And here's what you do. Mm-hmm, 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 it's wonderful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, great. Let them talk, let them run. Then when they slow down, they take a breath, then I'll say this, oh, okay, well, do you have any interest? The letter I stands for interest. You can say hobbies, but family and interest. And then I'll begin to ask them this question, now what are you interested in? What are your hobbies? And then you just let them talk. And a lot of times you already know what they're interested in, but you can begin to have a conversation what they're interested in. You just let them talk. And so now what's happening is I'm getting closer to that person. I'm developing a relationship with them where I can have their permission to share the good news with them. And then I come to the letters R and E. And uh, the letter R stands for religious questions, and the letter E stands for exploratory uh, questions. And so those two kind of run, run together, but, but here's the following questions that I use when, it's, when I get into the religious questions and the exploratory questions. Here's five of them that I use after they talked about their family, talked about their interests. I then, then asked this question, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Everybody has a spiritual belief. They do. I ask them the question, and then I just sit there, and I let them talk. They could say, you know, I believe we all came from fish. And I go, mm-hmm. Just let them talk. I'll let them talk about their beliefs, then I'll ask them this next question. Well, who is this guy named Jesus, and what do you believe about Jesus? Just let them talk. I think he's a prophet. I just think he's... Uh, he's, he's dead and gone, he's, he's not coming back, well, I don't know Jesus, whatever. Just let him talk. And then I'll ask him this question, well, what do you think about heaven or hell? And again, everybody has a thought about heaven or hell. Everybody does. Even an atheist has a thought about heaven or hell. Everybody does. Why? That's how God created us. God created, created us to think about eternity. And then here's the fourth question I ask. If you died, do you, do you know where you would go? Do you know where you would go? Just let them talk. Well, I think I'd go to heaven. I'm a pretty good person. Well, I'm going to hell because I'm a bad person. Yeah, it's probably true. But you, 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 just, you just let them talk. And then here's the fifth question that I ask. And this is the question that, it's a scary question, but you got to ask it. And I ask this question, I say this, if you believe, if what you believe were not true, would you want somebody to tell you? If what you believed were not true, would you want somebody to tell you? Most people want the truth. Most people want the truth. If they say, no, then you just say, Lord, I'll come back another day. I'll try another day. But if they say yes, you tell them about Jesus. And you share the gospel. And you tell them what the Bible says about Jesus. Well, I don't know everything about Jesus. 
I don't either. You don't have to get everything perfect, but you tell them what Jesus did for them on the cross, that he was buried, and then on the third day he rose again. And if they believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, here's what the Bible says, you shall be saved. Well, pastor, you left out a lot of the Bible in that gospel presentation. Yeah. But it's amazing. When you preach Jesus and you speak Jesus, you know what's activated? The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your power. You just tell people about Jesus. Well, Philip said to the eunuch, or excuse me, the, the eunuch said to Philip, I, I need somebody to help me understand because I need somebody to guide me. And Philip jumped in and it says he preached Jesus. Listen, folks, people want to understand and you have the keys to unlock their understanding. And you and you, and you, and you are the ones to go and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are. I am. It's all of us. Folks, listen, and I'll close with this. You, you know what all I have gone through with cancer, many of you other have with cancer as well, but let's say that if I had the cure for cancer, that'd be a pretty good thing, wouldn't it? One, I'd be a really, really rich man, right? But if I had the cure for cancer, if you had the cure for cancer, and you kept that to yourself, That's as wrong as wrong could be. Amen? You have the solution to something that's greater than cancer, and that's sin. And that solution is Jesus. And if we don't share the solution, That's not right. That's not right. It's because we have the greatest news that this world needs, and we need to go and make disciples by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Will you pray with me, please? As we pray, I ask that you think about that person, family member, coworker, friend, whatever, that, that you know that needs the gospel. Right now, would you just begin to say to the Holy Spirit, give me courage to get close so that I can share. Would you just pray that right now?
Father, we come before you this morning and Father, put people into our mind, into our hearts that we need to get close to to tell them about you. Open doors, position us as you desire. Position us at the right time, at the right place, and position us so that we can share the gospel. And Father, we say right now that we will obey that nudge that you give us, and we'll trust you. And we'll trust you and let you take care of the rest, but we will be a people who share the good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.